We're going to begin the reading in verse 23. 23. And we're going to read down through the end of the chapter. So I'm uh, calling an audible here on you here. Verse 23. The Bible says, And I will fasten him as a nail in a sure place, and he shall be for a glorious throne to his father's house. And they shall hang upon him all the glory of his father's house, the offspring and the issue, all vessels of small quantity from the vessels of cups, even all the vessels of flagons. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, shall the nail that is fastened in the sure place be removed and be cut down and fall, and the burden that was upon it shall be cut off, for the Lord hath spoken it. We talked about last week how that there's going to be a nail that folks are just sure is a good thing. You're going to grab hold of it and believe that that nail is what they put their weight on and what uh, will hold them up. And boy, that nail one day is going to come crumbling down out of the wall and everything secured to it is going to fall with it. But there's another nail in the Lord Jesus Christ and that will be fastened Forever. This is talking about, I believe, not only Israel, I believe this projects to a time where Jesus Christ reigns supreme and the Antichrist falls into hell along with the devil. Let's look at again this topic of faith that holds fast. A faith that holds fast. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the Bible. We pray, God, that you'd help our faith to be in the right place. And Lord, as we look at uh, again uh, this truth that we began last week, in this chapter, our attention will be on leaders, and Lord, putting our eyes on the right type of leaders, and Lord, uh, following those that follow you, and only as they follow you. And so, Lord, help our faith to never be in a man uh, or a woman, but Lord, help our faith to be in you and in you supreme. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, we're going through the various uh, burdens laid out to the various countries, and uh, there's some circling back around that Isaiah does. The very first burden laid out was to Babylon, and we saw in uh, chapter number 21, he circles back around to Babylon, and then uh, here in chapter 22, we're looking at Jerusalem. There's already been a burden laid out to Israel or to the the Jews, and here again, uh, Isaiah circles back around and addresses, look at verse number one with me. The Bible says, the burden of the valley of vision what aileth thee now that thou art wholly gone up to the housetops, the valley of visions? And we talked about vision. We talked about the paradox in that statement last week, how that if you want a vision, you generally don't go into a valley to get a vision. You go on a mountaintop to get a vision. You go to a, a place of, of, uh, of, of, of height where you get a great view of what you're trying to see. You definitely don't walk down into a valley where your view is blocked uh, by higher planes. But uh, Isaiah is known for his paradoxical type statements. And he says, I went down into a valley and I saw a vision. Well, how do we know this is Israel? Look at uh, verse number four. The Bible says in verse four, therefore said I look away from me. I will weep bitterly, labor not to comfort me because of the spoiling of the daughter of my people. The daughter of my people is always a reference to Israel, always a reference to Israel. Look at verse 8, and he discovered the covering of Judah and how that thou didst look in the day to the armor of the house 
of the forest. There Judah is named. And then the verses that follow that talk about the city of Jerusalem. And we can look at other passages in the Old Testament and see these things, uh, the fortifying of the city being done by the various kings. It's obvious that this is speaking of Jerusalem, of the Jews, and their incoming impending captivity by the Babylonians. What happened here? The Israelites had their faith in the wrong place. They had their faith secured to a nail that would crumble out of a wall and send them in a free fall of captivity. And so let's quickly review what we looked at last week, and then we'll be in verses 15 to 25 this week. We said last week, number one, we looked at the unbelief of the people. The unbelief of the people. I gave you a letter A and a B here. I said letter A, their party on the rooftop. Look with me at verse number one. Verse number one again. The burden of the valley of vision. What aileth thee now that thou art wholly gone up to the housetops, to the rooftop, uh, that thou, uh, that thou, thou that are full of stirs. Uh, a tumultuous city. Look here. A joyous city. This is a city full of uh, tumultuousness. There's a lot of sin and, and strife within the city, but this is also a, a party city. They like to go and, and have parties, have parties on the rooftop. Look down at verse number 13. The Bible says, and behold, joy and gladness, slaying oxen and killing sheep, eating flesh and drinking wine. Look here at the attitude, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we shall die. Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we shall die. It's the you only live once attitude. It's the life is short. Have as much fun as possible as soon as you can attitude. Hey, God's calling Israel to repentance. And instead of putting on sackcloth and ashes, instead of tearing of the garment, instead of weeping and moaning and bewailing their, their sin, no, instead of that, they're ignoring the prophet and they're running onto the rooftop and they're uh, having a party, a joyous party. Uh, why? Because they don't need to worry about God and his hand of protection because their faith is not in God. Their faith is misplaced. Their faith is holding on to a nail that will let them go. Their faith is holding on to themselves. They believe that they are capable of protecting themselves and they don't need God's help, nor do they need God's man. Letter A, the part, their party on the rooftops. Letter B, notice their problems in the valley. Their problems in the valley. Again, look with me at verse Number one, the burden of the valley of vision. Look down at verse two. Thou that are full of stirs, a tumultuous city, a joyous city. Look here. Thy slain men are not slain with the sword, nor dead in battle. He says, you all are on the, on the rooftop throwing a party. I'm standing down in the valley, and God is giving me a vision, and I don't like what I'm seeing, and you all should sit up and take notes. See, notice the problems in the valley. I gave you four problems that uh, Isaiah saw in the valley. The first problem he saw was famine and disease. Famine and disease. I had you turn over last week to 2 Kings 25. We won't do that again this week, but in 2 Kings 25, we see the historical recording of Isaiah's prophecy. So Isaiah gives a prophecy of what he sees in this vision, and then lo and behold, it comes true, and then it's written about in 2 Kings 25. So we get the future casting of it, and then we get the past historical recording of the same event. And lo and behold, exactly as Isaiah predicted, it would come true. The, uh, the, uh, the Babylonians would come into uh, Israel. They would not come in to kill and destroy. They wouldn't come in for violence and carnage. No, instead, they would come in and they would, in, in waves, they would kidnap 
people and they would wreck and ruin the economic structure and they would put people in charge and limit uh, the limit the, uh, the the growth the economic growth and then lo and behold people are dying of famine they're dying of disease they're dying in the valley not from the sword but because the, uh, the, the movers and shakers of their culture were gone. The academics of their culture were gone. Their leaders had fled. They're left with the leftovers of society that can't seem to take care of themselves, and now they're dying of malnourishment. They're dying of famine and disease. Isaiah says, you're having a party up on the rooftop, but I'm standing in the valley and I see problems. I see famine and disease. What else did he see? He saw fear and desertion, fear and desertion in verse 3 through 7. In fact, look at there with me, 3 through 7. The Bible says, All thy rulers are fled together. They are bound by the archers. All that are found in thee are bound together, which have fled from afar. Therefore said I, Look away from me. I will weep bitterly. Labor not to comfort me because of the spoiling of the daughters of my people, for it is a day of trouble and of treading down and of perplexity by the Lord God of hosts in the valley of vision, breaking down the walls and of crying to the mountains, and Elam bear the quiver with chariots of men and horsemen, and Kerr uncover the shield, and it shall come to pass that thy choicest valleys shall be full of chariots, and the horsemen shall set themselves in array at the gates. Earlier on in our reading there, we saw that the rulers flee. They desert. They flee. They're a fill, full of fear. Second Kings 25, we saw that there had been a surrounding of this valley where the Israelites were, a surrounding of it until they became so starved that they took off and began to attack the enemy, but not the leaders, not the generals, not those in charge. They took a back gate and they ran. They ran from, instead of running to the problem, they ran from the problem fear and desertion, and lo and behold, they're captured. They're, they're bound together by the archers, just as Isaiah said would happen. Uh, you know you don't have a good leader when your leader, talking about misplaced fear, or rather misplaced trust, uh, mis, misplaced faith, you know you don't, have the leader, uh, uh, you don't have faith in the right leader that when the going gets tough, the, the, the leader quits. He walks away. He runs. He's filled with fear. No, a, a, a good leader... And I'm speaking to everyone here that's a leader. Yes, I'm speaking to myself as a leader. I'm speaking to every husband in the room. I'm speaking to every woman in the room who leads children or leads uh, at work. Uh, listen, a good leader, when things get tough, he doesn't run from, he runs to the problem. He's the first one there to breathe confidence that everything's going to be okay. In fact, if the ship's going down, the leader stays with the ship. The leader stays with the ship. Uh, fear and desertion are markers of a leader who you should not where, where you should not be putting your faith. Uh, Isaiah again saw a problem in the valley while they were having a party on the rooftop. He saw famine and disease. He saw fear and desertion. And then verses eight and eleven, he saw failure and destruction. Failure and destruction. Look back at verse number eight with me, and I'm refreshing our memory before we jump into fifteen through twenty-five. The Bible says, and he discovered the covering of Judah, and thou didst look in that day to the armor of the house of the forest. Ye have seen also the breaches of the city of David. They are many. And uh, ye gathered together the waters of the lower pool. And here's where their faith is. Their faith is in themselves. It's in their own 
armament. It's in their own fortification of the city. They don't need God to protect them. In their minds, they've done all the work to protect themselves. Verse uh, 9 and 10 and 11 go on and describe the, the labor they put in and the faith in their own, um, their own infrastructure. Verse 10, And ye have numbered the houses of Jerusalem, and the houses have ye broken down to fortify the wall. Ye made also a ditch between the two walls for the water of the old pool, but ye have not looked upon the maker thereof. There's their error. They're looking at themselves. They're not looking at the maker. Neither had respect unto him that fashioned it long ago. Failure and destruction. He says, um, you all collected armor. Uh, you all fortified the walls. You all serviced the water supply. In fact, you made the water supply in such a way that that could not be cut off by an enemy. You built a reservoir. You've done all of these things in order to fortify yourselves. You're up there having the party on the rooftop because your faith is in a nail that will come crumbling down. You don't believe that, but I'm telling you, Isaiah says, it's going to happen. And then we saw uh, the fourth thing Isaiah uh, observed in the valley. He saw faith, uh, faith, the faithless and depraved. Look at verse 12 through 14. We see the call to repentance and then the ignoring of it. And, it shall, and in that day did the Lord God of hosts call to weeping and to mourning and to baldness and to girding with sackcloth. And behold, joy and gladness in contrast of the mourning, in contrast of the weeping, in contrast of the repentance, we get a party. Verse 13, and behold, joy and gladness, slaying oxen, killing sheep, eating flesh, drinking wine. Here's the attitude, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we shall die, and it was revealed in mine ears by the Lord of hosts, Isaiah says, Surely this iniquity shall not be purged from you till ye die, saith the Lord God of hosts. What a strong statement Isaiah makes. He says, You all have crossed a line in your attitude and your antics. You have crossed a line that even if you were to turn and repent, God is not going to let it go. You will suffer under the hand of God all the way to the grave because of how hard and how far you've pushed God. Now, I, I want to ask here, how many of you, and don't raise your hands, but how many of you in here, I would assume everyone in here, has worked with children on some level, right? Maybe you've been a parent. Uh, maybe you're a teacher. Miss Rose Okai is a teacher. Miss Sue works in the classroom, Right? Uh, maybe you've been a parent, maybe you've been a teacher, maybe you've helped in a junior church or a bus route setting. And uh, you know what I mean when I say that uh, you're willing to put up with some uh, bad behavior from a child, right? Everyone has that level where they'll tolerate, but a child can push things so far and cross the line so far that, boy, you're not really willing to just, okay, yep, you're forgiven, let's move on. You know, there might be a, a conference with a parent. There might be severe punishment for your own child. Uh, there are, uh, there, there's a point which a child crosses a line where even a school will look at a child and say, you can't attend here anymore. You can't be here anymore. Uh, someone can behave in such a way where they're put in prison for that behavior, and if the behavior is cross a line uh, far enough, we never let them out of prison. They're there for the rest of their life. And God says to the Israelites here, you cross the line, not just a little bit, you will, you will have gone so far past the line that you are faithless and depraved. You don't even know how to turn around and make things right. 
You are faithless and depraved. We see the unbelief of the people. Uh, Their faith was misplaced. Now, there is a common misnomer uh, that I hear uh, people uh, hold to, and uh, the misnomer is that some people just don't have any faith. Some people don't have any faith. And I would say everyone has faith. Everyone has faith. Um, All of you that got in a car tonight to come to church, you have a lot of faith in complete strangers. Right? You're driving down the road. Do you know the other people in the cars that are passing you? How do you know they're going to abide by the, the, the law and stay on their side of the road? How many of you here have ever eaten food bought at a grocery store? Out of a can or out of a box? How do you know someone didn't mix something in there accidentally that could kill you? But you blindly pour that bowl of cereal or eat that can of green beans, eat that meat. You didn't watch the process all the way through. You all with me tonight? We all have faith. But the question is, is our faith in God or is our faith in man or ourselves? Israel had gotten to a place where they had no faith in God. They were so secular in their thinking, so secular in their thinking, that even when the prophet put his finger in their collective faces and said, you need a call to repentance, you are so wayward, you are so backslidden, come back to God, they laughed in his face, and then they went on a rooftop and had a party. Faithless and depraved, the unbelief of the people... Let's move on and look at verses 15 through 25, and let's talk about the unfaithfulness of the leaders. The unfaithfulness of the leaders. And God is going to use two little-known people uh, here in the Bible in this passage. In fact, this passage offers the most information we have about these two Bible characters. And I believe these two Bible characters are talking about, uh, in in a cryptic way, I believe they're talking about the Antichrist and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to lay out that case here in just a moment. Look down at verse number 15 with me, if you will. Verse number 15. The Bible says, in fact, let me give you letter A, then I'll, we'll read the verse there. Letter A is Shebna's corruption. Shebna's corruption. Look at verse 15. The Bible says, Thus saith the Lord God of hosts, Go get thee unto this treasurer, even unto Shebna, which is over the house, and say, What hast thou here? And whom hast thou here, that thou hast hewed thee out a sepulcher here, as he uh, that heweth him out a sepulcher on high, and that graveth inhabitation for himself in a rock? Now, Shebna's name is mentioned in a handful of other places in the Bible. Uh, we don't really get an idea of who Shebna was, other than he was a scribe, okay? And he seemed to work for the Israeli government under Hezekiah and a couple of uh, the other uh, kings. And so what does 15 and 16 tell us about the corrupt leader Shebna? Well, it tells us that he is the king's treasurer. He's the king's treasurer. And he is using money to build himself an elaborate sepulcher for his own burial. Now, all of the commentaries I have read, all of them seem to think that Shebna was misappropriating the king's money into his own pocket to build this uh, this uh, sepulcher. 
uh, up on a high place, to give himself a burial. Now, notice where he wants to be buried. He wants to be buried high upon a mountain so that when he's buried up there, everyone can look up and notice him. You see that? Everyone can look up and notice him. Shebna is corrupt. If he's not misappropriating money, boy, God is not pleased with Shebna's actions and his proudful spirit. His proudful spirit. He is corrupt, just as the Antichrist one day will be corrupt. Now, Shebna had a group of people that were working with him in cahoots, and God's going to have Shebna cast down in just a moment. Let's Look at that. We'll look at that here in a moment. Turn over to 2 Thessalonians 2. Those of you on the live stream, I I added at the last moment, about uh, 20 minutes before church started, I added a handful of other verses that are not going to be in the live stream. And uh, those were not given to the um, uh, Brother Joe who puts that together. So you're going to have to get your Bibles out there at home. Pull them up on your phone if you must. But uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And look with me at verse number 8. 2 Thessalonians 2, 8. And we know that the Antichrist also will be corrupt and he will deceive people into into his corruption. Look at verse 8 there. The Bible says, And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even know whose coming is after the working of Satan. This is speaking of the Antichrist with all power and signs and lying and wonders uh, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness. Look at that. Deceivableness. He deceives people. In them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. For this cause God will send them strong delusions, that they shall believe a lie, uh, that they all might be damned, which believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now I believe that these verses are speaking of a time where people take the mark of, of the beast after the halfway point of the tribulation. Now, by this point, if you study out Revelation and Daniel, by this point, the angels have already come and written salvation in the sky. Angels have written it in the sky. And those who are going to get saved will have already gotten saved. By the way, if you are saved, you will not take the mark of the beast. I've heard people say, well, if you're saved and you take the mark of the beast, and you will have lost your salvation. If you're saved during the tribulation, God will put a mark on you. And when you mark something, you are claiming it as your property. You cannot have the mark of God and the mark of the beast. Once you've been marked by God, you're marked. Once you're marked by the devil, you're marked. And why does God send strong delusions? Because those who've taken the mark, there's no going back. They've sold their soul to the devil. Uh, They have bought into that corruption. They have bought into that delusion. They have been deceived by the evil one, by the wicked, capital W, proper name, wicked in verse 8. So we see Shebna's corruption and and really we get an idea that Shebna is a picture of the Antichrist, not so much from what the Bible says about Shebna, more about what it says about Eliakim. And then we turn around and see it in Shebna, but we'll get to that in a moment. Notice letter B, Shebna's castigation. Shebna's castigation. Shebna is uh, most likely misappropriating the king's money. He's building himself a sepulcher so that he can be high and lifted up and exalted even in his burial. And then in 17, 18, and 19, we see that Shebna is severely punished. Look here, behold, the Lord will carry thee away, Shebna, 
with a mighty, uh, with a mighty captivity and will surely cover thee. He will surely violently turn and toss thee like a ball into a large country. There shalt, shalt thou die, and there the chariots of thy glory shall be the shame of thy Lord's house. And I will drive thee from thy station, and from thy state shall he pull thee down. Shebna, you're building this impressive, fancy sepulcher for you to be buried in. Shebna, you're not going to get to use that sepulcher. You're going to be tossed out of the country like a catapult, ball in a catapult. You're going to be launched into a large country some far, far place away, and you're going to die a lonely, lonely, lonely death. And so we see that Shebna would be killed, the prophet Isaiah prophesied, and he would not die an honorable death. He would not be buried in this fancy tomb and be high and lifted up in his death. No, he would die in a land and be quickly forgotten. Shebna's corruption and Shebna's castigation, Satan uh, will use the Antichrist to push his kingdom here on earth. He will go into uh, the three-and-a-half-year mark or that half-week point, uh, a week being seven years, halfway through the three-and-a-half-year mark, uh, the Antichrist will commit the abomination of desolation. That's a fancy term that just means his act will be so abominable the Jews will desolate or flee or have nothing left to do with the temple that will be rebuilt in Jerusalem. What will the Antichrist do? He will walk into that temple. He will sit on David's throne and he will declare himself to be the Christ. He will declare himself to be the, the chosen one, the Messiah. And uh, that will be his beginning of wanting everyone in the world to worship him. High and lifted up, he will try to be, and instead he will be taken by God and cast down into a far country called hell. He will suffer in hell. Are you seeing the parallel here tonight of Shebna? He's building himself up. He's, he's having a sepulcher built for himself. He wants to be known and remembered. And God says, you will be cast down. You will be punished. We see Shebna's corruption and Shebna's castigation here. Let's move on and look at Eliakim. Notice letter C, Eliakim's character. Eliakim's character. Look at with me at uh, verse number 20. It says, and it shall come to pass in that day, and this is a future day, in that day that I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Hilkiah. Now, Eliakim was a real man who would rule in Israel, and I believe that Eliakim is a type of Christ. Just like you can look back at Joseph, and you can see the type, types of Christ in Joseph, and the types of Christ in David, and the types of Christ in Abraham, and, and, and the, in the story there with Abraham and Isaac, or rather the types of Christ with Isaac, I believe, and in Noah, I believe that Eliakim is another example of that, and uh, the Bible will lay out for us here in the verses to come, but notice his character. Look back at verse 20. It says there, that I will call my servant, my servant. What is a servant? servant is someone who has a master and does everything he's told to do and does it well. You know what God is looking for in each of us? He's looking for us to be his servants. Um, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. The Bible says God resisteth the proud but giveth grace to the humble. Both of those verses are found in James chapter 4. Now, you know what 
a marker of a good servant is? He's humble. He knows his place. He takes orders well. He does what he's told with a great attitude. And Eliakim was chosen by God to lead because ultimately Eliakim was not going to be in charge. God was going to be in charge. And Eliakim was just simply his servant. Now, politicians get picked on for being, I'll use the word, puppets, right? I think going all the way back in my memory to, uh, to uh, the first George Bush and then Bill Clinton and then the second George Bush and then, let's see, after that was uh, uh, President Obama and then uh, President Trump and now President Biden. I have heard people say about every president that I could remember, he's just a puppet, He's just, how many of you have heard someone say that about the presidents? He's, he's not really in charge. Someone else is calling the shots. Look, I don't know, and you don't know, right? Uh, we can speculate all we want. Do you know what God wants out of his leaders? He wants us to be his puppet. Yes, Lord, whatever you say, that's how I'll lead. Yes, Lord, that's what I'll do. Yes, Lord, I'll lead my wife and my children in this direction. Yes, Lord, I'll lead the church as the pastor in this direction. Why? Because I'm not the shepherd. He's the shepherd. I'm the under-shepherd to the good shepherd. Amen? And you are the under-shepherd at home to your family. And you are the under-shepherd in your place of employment. He's the shepherd. He's the leader. He's the the puppet master. You're simply his puppet. And listen, he wants you to have the character of a servant where you follow through, and you do well what you're told to do. Tonight, I came in the kitchen right before I left to walk over here for church, and one of my children uh, was uh, in the kitchen with my wife, and my wife was very calmly having some correction time with this child. And this child's attitude was on the border of not being uh, what it should be. And the problem was that my wife had given this child uh, some directives and orders with cleanup after dinner, and this child was doing a half-hearted job so they could go on and do what they wanted to do. And you know what I see? I, I was talking to my, my friend, Pastor King, today. We were recording our podcast, Monday Medicine. And by the way, shameless plug here, if you're not listening to our podcast, I encourage you to do that. But we, were, we had finished up recording, we were chatting, and, and he mentioned this. He said that a lot of the problems that people have are problems that trace all the way back to when they were in kindergarten. They never got it right. And you know, this half-hearted attitude of, I'm going to just do enough to get by, then I'm going to do what I want. Boy, that was Shebna. That was Shebna. I'm going to do enough to please the king and keep him thinking I'm in doing the right thing while I'm over here stealing the king's money and building my own sepulcher. God wants leaders to have character, the attitude of a servant. Again, an added a late, a late addition here. Turn over to Philippians 2. Philippians 2. Look at verse number 5. We're going to read down through verse number 8. Actually, we'll read down through uh, verse number 10. The Bible says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men 
And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Philippians chapter 2, look at verse 9. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now listen, not any one of us in here will ever, ever, ever get to hold to the, to the perfection of, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And even Jesus learned how to humble himself and become a servant. God is looking for servants. Looking for servants. He's looking for you and I to take on the attitude of a servant. And that's why Eliakim was chosen to be in charge. Because Eliakim had learned that the greatest among you is to be servant of all. So we've seen Eliakim's character. And let me show you the typology here of Eliakim and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, let's look at letter D, Eliakim's crowning. Eliakim's crowning. We're wrapping it up here. Look at verse number 21, and we'll read down through verse 25. The Bible says, and I will we'll probably read down to verse 23 for now, 22. We're going to read down a couple of verses and take a break. Okay. And I will clothe him with thy robe, and strengthen him with thy girdle. And I will commit thy government into his hand. And he shall be a father of the inhabitants of Jerusalem and of the house of Jacob. This reads as though we're not talking about Eliakim. We're talking about the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. 22, and the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder so he shall open and none shall shut and he shall shut and none shall open. Quickly, turn over to Revelation chapter number 3. Revelation 3 and look at verse number 7. Revelation 3. Here we get the address of Jesus to the churches, the seven churches there in Revelation 2 and 3, right before the rapture of the church age in Revelation 4. Look at Revelation 3. Before I read verse 7, let me just reiterate the end of the verse we just read out of Isaiah 22, verse 22. It says, And the key of the house of David will lay upon his shoulder, listen here, so he shall open and none shall shut, and he shall shut, and none shall open. Now look at Revelation 3 and look at verse 7. And to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. You see that? Eliakim is a picture of Jesus Christ. That's laid out in Revelation chapter 3 and verse number 7. And so we see the crowning here, the crowning of the servant the suffering servant, the Lord Jesus Christ, becomes the conquering king. Go back to uh, verse number 24 here. Speaking of those who put their weight in the Antichrist, they will fall off into hell. And those who put their weight on the nail of the Lord Jesus Christ, they will live forever. 23, and I will fasten him, Eliakim, or the Lord Jesus Christ. I will fasten him as a nail in a sure place. Now, I can't just go by this without making this observation Jesus Christ nailed to a cross for our sin will one day be nailed figuratively nailed uh, to a throne to be king forever amen the one who died for our sins will be the one that we can secure our faith to and hold on to forever and those who put their faith in anything but Christ 
faith in themselves. We talked about that last week, right? Those who put their faith in a bank account. Those who put their faith in a person. Those who put their faith in a pastor. Those who put their faith in a church leader. Those who put their faith in a friend. Those who put their faith in a program. Those who put their faith in a church community. Listen, all of those nails can come crumbling down out of the wall, no matter how secure you think they are. And if your faith is in anything other than the Lord Jesus Christ, listen, let your, let your confidence be rattled a little bit when somebody or something lets you down. But if your faith is secured to the Lord Jesus Christ, my friend, He's never going to let you down. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Again, verse 23, And I will fasten him as a nail in a sure place, and he shall be a glorious, be for a glorious throne to his father's house. And they shall hang upon him all the glory of his father's house, the offspring and the issue, all vessel of small quantity, from uh, the vessels of cups, uh, even to the vessels of flagons. In that day, saith, saith the Lord of hosts, shall the nail that is fastened in the sure place be removed. And be cut down and fail, and the burden that was upon it shall be cut off, for the Lord hath spoken it. One day those who put their faith in the Antichrist, were marked by the Antichrist, uh, have their faith hanging on that nail. Boy, that faith is not going to hold fast. That nail is going to come falling out. Those folks are going to fall into hell. Those that have their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, boy, that faith will secure their place in heaven. And so... Uh, the unfaithfulness of the leaders. Listen, put your faith in God. Listen, I want, I'm going to finish with this. We're almost done. Put your faith in God and God alone. But find yourself some folks who you can follow in your life who are following Christ. And remember, like Paul said, Paul said to those uh, that followed him, he said, follow me as I follow Christ. I am leery of anyone saying that man or that woman is my hero. Especially if that man or that woman is still alive. I grew up hearing that all the time. You know, you, you Christian teenagers, you need to have heroes. And then you'd have some youth speaker in. And this guy ought to be your hero. You know, you've got your Britney Spears and from my era, right? Your, your, your various folks who are big deals, uh, I guess... A few years ago, it was Justin Bieber, whatever. You have all these people that get put up, your Tom Cruises, all these folks. And, and folks almost worship the ground these guys walk on. Make this preacher your hero. And you know what? I found that to be a faulty line of logic because preacher after preacher after preacher, not all of them, but preacher after preacher after preacher would fall into sin. And then I would watch people who had their eyes on them just give up on God in church. Listen, put your faith in Christ. But there's nothing wrong with following a man or a woman. Just make sure you know the best of men are men at best. The best of men are men at best. Boy, I, I, I repeat the words of Paul. And I think everyone here ought to repeat the same words of Paul. Paul said, I keep under my body and bring into subjection, lest that when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. Any one of us at any point could be a castaway. You, you hear me tonight? Any one of us at any point can fail and fall and falter. I, I've seen it happen to men who I had the utmost respect and esteem 
uh, for. You say, well, pastor, why didn't you quit the ministry uh, if you respected these guys? Because I respected them, but my faith was not in them. My faith was not on a nail of a man. My faith has been in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's not one time ever failed me. Amen. Put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and have a faith that holds fast. So let's stand together to be dismissed with a word of prayer tonight. And, uh, boy, let's, let's be uh, people uh, that uh, trust God and uh, have our faith in God.